Alright, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to my Bizzlecast with my cousin Phil. We are going to be talking about Creed, the amazing reboot or semi-reboot of the Rocky franchise um, that's come out in the last month or two that we're both big fans of, and we're also fans of Rocky. Um, Phil is sort of a Rocky scholar, and uh, it was suggested to me because I wanted to do a Creed podcast to talk to Phil, and he was into the idea he really knows a lot about the uh, you know, on and off uh, stage aspects of the Rocky movies over the years. They're very important to him. And while we like talking trash to each other when it comes to sports, he's from Detroit. I'm from Philly. Both of our teams basically suck at all times, so you know it's pretty pretty easy trash talking. However, he does have a, a little spark of love for Philly because of Rocky. Am I wrong? Oh, I, I could you not like Rocky. I mean, he epitomizes everything that's great about being American. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, he's, the, he's the true representation of the underdog. It's, I mean, if you think about it today, how, how many movies are made where the guy who loses at the end is as beloved as Rocky? Yeah. And you could say that about Rocky 1, and you can say that in, in Creed. Uh, Creed. Creed loses. That's not a part of our American culture today where we reward everybody for coming in second place and everybody gets a piece of paper for participation. Uh, one of the things I love about Creed is that the real hard work that, that pays off at the end is is the spirit of trying your best. And I think that's what Stallone did really well in this Creed movie is reminding all of us that it's not about winning at the very end. It's about putting your heart into something and working really hard to achieve your goals and dreams. And that's what Creed reminded me of after seeing it for the second time this past week. It, yeah. it It's a life story. It's a life lesson in many ways. Yeah. And, and you know, what, one of my favorite lines, and it's all about delivery, which they showed in the trailers, but still gives me chills when I see in the theater is the one where he has uh where uh stallone where rocky has uh apollo sorry not apollo adonis uh donnie as they call him before he takes the creed name has him look in the mirror and in shadow box in the mirror and says you know that's your real enemy you know uh the, that guy staring right at you that's your, you know that's your real enemy and i believe that in life just like i believe it in the ring and it's so true you know that the greatest enemy is ourselves and, and i think that's you know why uh, a, a boxing movie with a porn star could win an Academy Award in the seventies because it is, you know, truly deep. I mean, I don't know what Stallone's like in real life, but you know, he has some real wisdom to him, and always has. And for a guy with a lisp, you know, his acting has been up and down. Um, he does seem to have some sort of innate wisdom about life, uh, or at least he transmits it in the movies because it's always inspiring and it wasn't Creed. Well, Jess, I'll tell you, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but when uh, Sly was born, his lazy eye and uh, slurred speech were a result of paralysis when he was born on the left side of his face. So uh, some people think that that's all an act. That's actually a a part of who he is. you know, you made the reference to, you know, take a look in the mirror, that that's your opponent. Uh, actually, in the first Rocky movie, that's something Mick shared with Rock when he was training him. And it, it comes back through a couple of, of different movies in the saga where we're reminded mm-hmm. of that, that we're, we're always the ones who are standing in our way. We have mm-hmm. to conquer ourselves. And, uh, you know, that, that's one of the great things about Rocky. I think there's only one other series of movies or other television series that, 
that has done what Rocky has done well. The, the Wire is very good also at pointing to other episodes and building relationships between one season to the other. And, you know, with Creed and Rocky Balboa, which was Rocky Six, I think Stallone did a phenomenal job of, of bridging the gap between 1976 Rocky One and, and Creed yeah. 2015. And yeah. he did it in a way that, that really um, captures everything that's great about movie making. Yeah. Um, because it's so easy to fall back on your laurels, the things that that made the the saga so great and and gets millions of people to the theater to watch. It's easy to fall back on on the corny jokes and right. you know revisiting some of those lines that that are memorable. But I'll tell you, they did a phenomenal job in creative of creating something new from the rooted Rocky saga, uh, yeah. reminding us of where it all came from, but starting a whole new chapter, a whole new story in Creed. Yeah, I just want to hone in on those last few thoughts. I mean, Creed was such a minimalist perfection almost. Uh, you know, even the quote unquote cliched, you know, parts were done in such an understated way. And because of it was basically a family movie that involved three or four characters only, um, this could focus on those relationships and none of the lines seemed excessive. There weren't any scenes that you didn't need. If anything, I wanted some more. You know, I, I, this was not a case of, of a movie that was too long in my mind. It was a very good length as it was. I would have been fine with more. Um, the relationships were totally on point. But, you know, you know I'm a philosophy guy, but Stallone in this movie, the closest comparison I can come up with to him and Creed in terms of the movies is Yoda. <laughs> I, I mean, it's almost like this Eastern philosophy thing, like you were talking about, you know, fighting yourself. I mean, that's a very Buddhist notion, you know, that you, know, you, we, you have to conquer the self, the selfish individual, in order to, like, reach higher planes. And I know that, you know, he, he's not talking spiritualism in that way, but just from a practical, psychological standpoint, he really feels like a wise old master, like Yoda or... Um, uh, or Morpheus in the Matrix, or whatever. Uh, does that make sense? Just as like a spiritual guide, almost? You know, it does, Jess, and, and you bring up that point. And, you know, when people go to see these movies, I think we all see it through different eyes, and a lot of it is based on maybe some of the trials and turbulations that we experience as individuals in life. I think one of the things that people don't give a whole lot of credit to is experience, living life. There's something yes. to be said about the number of years that a person puts on the car as, as you travel through different times in your life. And, you know, I myself, I'm 45, and I grew up with the Rocky films from beginning to now. And, you know, the, the thing I liked about Stallone in playing the Rocky character in Creed, and if you think about this, great comparison to Buddhism and philosophy and, you know, Rocky shared what he knew, but he also knew what he couldn't help Donnie with. And right. that's when he took him to the Front Street Gym and he got other people involved. So it, the movie didn't hone in just on Rocky and Baby Creed. The, honey, the, the movie brought in other characters as well that all played very small roles, but important roles in developing young Creed the boxer. And that was the piece that I really liked. It was that Rocky knew what he could and couldn't do with this young up and rising boxer. And he kind of pulled from his bag of tricks and resources in, in Philadelphia and built Creed up to actually be able to, I guess, hang in there 
with the champion at the end. I mean, it, it really is, if you think about it, it's a story that, that typically would never happen, but it was a lot like the first Rocky. You know, it was built off right. that same premise. It was just Apollo's kid, which, which made it special. I mean, it easily could have bombed, but they did a great job of rebooting Creed so that it could become a story on its own. Let me put it this way. Of all of the movies that I've seen this year where I saw the previews or trailers, you know, multiple times before actually seeing the movie and then seeing the movie multiple times, Creed was by far the most effective. I got chills watching the Creed trailer every single time and I knew it was coming and I still got chills, you know, because Michael B. Jordan is so intense and Stallone is such a perfect, you know, father figure slash spiritual guide. Um, I I knew Stallone was going to be great. I didn't expect him to have as much screen time, although looking back, I, I'm not sure what else could have happened. I mean, it's about those two. It's about their relationship, and that's why it works, and that's why it wasn't corny or cliched or a dumb idea, because Stallone stepped back and said, Michael B. Jordan, you know, st- step up to the plate, young, bu- young buck, right? I mean, <laughs> Michael B. had plenty of cred. Um, on TV and movies before this, but this is his coming out party. I mean, they've already greenlit a sequel, you know? I mean, he's been in some movies that did well, some others that didn't do so well, but everyone appreciates his talent and has for a long time. Um, any any thoughts specifically about Michael B.'s uh, performance in Creed? Yeah, you know, Michael B., well, first of all, just piggybacking on your comments about the trailer, thank goodness all the good scenes weren't just in the trailer. Yep. You know, you you always worry about that with a saga where you're watching a trailer for a part two, three, four, a Star Wars trailer, and you're and you're saying in the back of your mind, "I hope that's not the whole movie," because yep. so many times we're disappointed with great trailers and then a mediocre or average movie because every good scene and every good line is in that trailer. No, the, I, I think Michael Michael B. Jordan, first of all, so difficult to build a career off of your first appearance in The Wire becoming a main character throughout an entire season. I mean, nobody plays the street kid better than Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. And uh, it, it's hard to find the right roles when, when you're coming out of maybe, what, the greatest television series of all time. I, I have it in my top three of all time. To me, it's number one. But it, it's hard to find those roles that can define you and help you evolve as an actor. And I'll tell you, Michael B. Jordan hit it out of the park in this one. I mean, he I, I can't think of another person who would have, played a better creed i mean he no. he looks i wouldn't say he looks a whole lot like apollo but he definitely had the build for the movie i know he spent a lot of time before the movie working out getting himself in shape uh, i i think he had a lot of apollo creeds that was some pretty ridiculous jump roping by him i have to say I oh was he did he, yeah. he learned the sport of boxing before yeah. the movie so that he yeah. could make it look real in the movie and you know i, I his mannerisms were very much like Apollo Creed's, and that, that's what really sold me on the movie. I truly felt like I was watching Apollo Creed before Apollo Creed became the heavyweight champion. I think that that was one of the special pieces to this movie that, that helped you tie all of these Rocky movies together. It's what got you excited about watching it again. And what was great, and again, something they didn't tell us in the trailer, but what they did in the movie, which was very effective both in terms of the story, um, but also in terms of just uh, Michael B. Jordan's own personality and complexity and intelligence, was 
they gave him cred by having him grow up in juvie, but they also had him get a really good education. And it was important as, uh, as, um, what's Avon's name? Avon Barksdale in, uh, in real life? Something yeah, you would. He, yeah. I forget his name in real life. Yeah. But, but I, I know what you're getting at. All right. So Avon was basically, you know, training poor kids from the hood. To, to box like 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 we saw in the wire like it was their only way out or whatever and he refused to train Michael B Jordan because Michael B had at that point been adopted um, by Creed's um, wife or widow I should say who wasn't his mother but who he came to see as mom and uh, by the way Mrs Cosby <laughs> killed it in her short performance I thought she was great. Yeah, um, and we yeah. won't be expecting Bill in any of the cameos in the yeah. upcoming movies, right? <laughs> um, but uh, but the, but the point being, you know, it, it was important to the story. Like when he meets Tessa, his girl, his uh, future girlfriend, she's she can tell he's not like a hood kid. Not not that he's not hardcore, but you know, why are you boxing? You can be doing other stuff. We saw him quit a pretty lucrative job at a financial company. We know that he has other skills. And so, you know, the, the major uh, blockage sort of in his brain is he wants to box. He wants to be as good or better than his dad, but he doesn't want anyone to know. And that, of course, comes to bite him in the ass, at least temporarily. It's kind of midway through the movie when the secret gets out and he starts having problems reconciling himself and his, his lineage and his history. And, dude, I got to tell you, man, as someone who you know, has seen original Rocky a few times, not recently, has not seen the other Rocky movies for a very long time, only has flashes. I totally bought that. He was Creed's son. Um, mostly because of the way Stallone played it. You know? It's like, when Stallone gets that twinkle in his eye at the restaurant when they first meet, and he looks at him, and looks back at him, like, as soon as Stallone buys it, I buy it. You know what I mean? Oh, I, 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 absolutely. And, I mean, if you really, you know, I've seen the Rocky movies. My daughter, Ellie, she is a huge, huge Rocky fan. We've Shout seen, out, Ellie. We, we love you, Ellie. We've seen the movies. I mean, she's seen Rocky probably 100 times. I kid you not. We watched oh, Rocky Balboa her. the other night. She's seen them all. She has her favorites, but. Wait, can I stop you for one sec, Phil? Yeah. Just a little, a little family stuff. So Phil joined our family many, many years ago, married into it, thankfully. Um, and, uh, we, we were kind of tight before, you know, before you even got married because we love politics. We love sports. We love talking shit. We love all this stuff. So Phil and I are always, you know, at some corner, uh, uh at holidays and so, and so forth talking about Obama or the lions or something like that. <laughs> uh, I think it's fair to say, but, um, he and, and his wife, my cousin, uh, they have two kids, Ellie and Zach. They live close by in Delaware, and we get to see them a decent amount because they're not too far. And Ellie is a very interesting um, kid, and uh, was she 10? She's 10. She just turned 10. She just turned 10. And I remember you told me that not only were you taking her to Creed, but that she's into all the movies. And this is a little bit of a sidebar, but you as a dad, I haven't had this chance yet, which is the whole PG-13 thing, how elastic that rating is. You know, like Creed's a little bit more on the bloodier end of PG-13. Star Wars a little bit less bloody end. As a parent, um, you know, like, did you make a conscious decision to show her Rocky? Like, I feel okay with her seeing this. Yeah, you know, I was okay with it. 
I think the rating comes more from the fighting scenes in the movie. Yep. And she has seen all of the fight scenes in all of the Rocky movies. It doesn't, you know, to, to be frank with you, yeah. Ellie actually is into the love story of the original Rocky. She's oh. more into the story of Rocky and Adrian than any other part of the movie. Uh, that's what she enjoys the most, the dialogue between those two characters in the movie. So, you know, she when she went to see Creed, uh, she clapped the first time Stallone entered the movie as Rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, she got excited when there were flashbacks and they showed Talia Shire as Adrian. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, young Creed was watching his dad through the YouTube videos, she saw Apollo and, and pulled on me and said, Dad, there's Apollo. Oh, so, man. you know, it was kind of cool for her to see all of that movie history coming back through Creed, what she knows and what she really enjoys about the movies. So, you know, for Ellie, it's more, you know, most Americans love Rocky because of the fights. But, you know, actually, the original Rocky movie was not an action movie. It was a love story. And a lot of people either don't know that or they tend to forget that. So, you know, Ellie likes the the love story of Rocky, which I think is pretty cool. Well, I I would argue that that what makes Creed great is the platonic love story between the male leads, you know, a loving as friends and as, you know, father, son or uncle, whatever you want to call them. You know, th- th- that was what made Creed great. Yes. The final boxing <laughs> match was ridiculously brutal and fun to watch. But what, what has kept me coming back, I've seen it twice. I want to see it one more time in the theater. I'm definitely going to own it on Blu-ray. No doubt is the relationship between Michael B. Jordan and Sylvester Stallone. So I'm right with Ellie on that one. I love the boxing fights, but it's all about the relationships. It's all about the relationships. There's tons of boxing movies out there. There's a reason why these are particularly beloved. Oh, absolutely. And and in Creed, you know, it wasn't just one relationship, Jess. It was the relationship that he forged with Apollo's wife. Uh, It was the relationship that he forged with Rocky as his unk. Yep. As he so refers it. to him many times in the movie. It's great. Yeah. Also, it was his relationship with his girlfriend in the movie. So, you know, and, and it was all done very appropriate. They didn't waste a lot of time trying to develop those relationships. They did a really good job of moving the story along and telling it in a way that kept you interested from start to finish. Absolutely. And I will mention that his girlfriend um, in the movie, Tessa Thompson, is in fact a real musician and... Uh, the venue where she plays weekly in the movie Johnny Brenda's is my like my favorite small um, music venue and uh, independent music venue in Philly. That's sort of in Northern Liberties area. I have gone there a lot over the years. I was really excited, um, and I was really excited that Philadelphia in general got so much love. I mean, I knew it was coming, you know, but they really took every opportunity to be outside. You know, a lot of times. In movies, to save money, you yes, you're shooting on location at, say, like Chicago or something, but you only end up using like 20 minutes of actual stuff, and everything else is done in studios or sets or other locations. They really m- made sure to be outside of Philly, um, on the Philly streets as much as possible. You know the city very well, just having lived in the area for a while. Um, 
you know, Philly's really a character in the Rocky stories, and it was particularly fun watching this movie with Philadelphians, um, I would say, and, uh, you know, just reminding people <laughs> that we're still here, because there just aren't <laughs> that many movies. I mean, for the fifth biggest metropolitan area in the country, there just aren't that many movies that are filmed in Philly, but, like, openly advertised as being in Philly. Um, so I, I loved it. I know. I mean, you, you like to give Philly a hard time, but you must have enjoyed it in this context. Oh, I, I loved it. I mean, if you think about it, there's really no other movie that has married itself to a city. There really isn't. I mean, when you think as someone who's from Detroit, from the outside, when I think of Rocky, I think of Philadelphia and the, you know, Stallone, he lived in Philadelphia for a time. So he has an appreciation for the area you know, the connection between Rocky Steps at the art museum, um, Rocky's Restaurant, which is actually, there. there is an Italian restaurant there that you can go to, and the artwork and all the pictures are in that restaurant. Uh, the fish store in the original Rocky, did you know that that fish store actually has been open for business for over 40 years under the same name? Really? <laughs> yes, it's not a prop in the movie. It, it's, an, it's still, you can go down to... Uh, Northern Philadelphia, I believe it's on Front Street, and it's J&M, I believe it's J&M Fish Supplies. I think that's the name of it. It was open before Rocky was written. It's still open today. It looks exactly the same. Uh, the owner of the store says he has people come every day from all over the world who just want to go into the store and kind of relive the whole experience of Rocky trying to pick up Adrian and buying fish food and hmm. picking up Coffin Link and hmm. it's ter- I mean it's cool. I mean it's really cool. The the connections with Philadelphia in the movie are I mean that that's almost a love story within itself if you think about it. I love the part. I, I don't know if most people caught this. I'm sure you caught it. So, you know, the the the, the gym they eventually end up using is in North Philly. Uh Sly lives in South Philly. And the, on their first day of real training, Sly makes him run next to the van that he's driving, makes Michael B. run all the way to the gym. Michael B. says, oh, is it far? And, and Sylvester Stallone is just like, oh, no, no, it's not that far. You know, Michael B. Jordan having no idea that, you know, from any point in South Philly to North Philly is at least four or five miles, you know. Uh, but was, that was great, you know, him getting the first cheesesteak. And I don't know, it was, it was a great kind of commercial for Philly. Yeah, um, that, that, that was great, that scene, Jess, because anyone who's ever been to Philadelphia, you know that six blocks could take you 45 minutes to walk or, yeah. an, hour, or an hour to drive. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it, it's It just totally depends true. on the time of the day and where you're going. So as soon as I heard that, I knew he was probably going on like a five to 10 mile run. You just yeah. knew it, you know? Yeah, so I, it's cool that Sly, you know, those types of things were, were written, those types of scenes were written into the movie because anyone who's been to Philadelphia, like you get that, you know, you just get it. And that's what makes it so cool and so real. So I definitely want to get back to Creed and favorite parts and stuff. Um, but as I mentioned in the beginning, Phil is a bit of a Rocky historian. Um, and I'm sure you got a lot of great stories. I do want to talk about uh, in a little bit why this reboot of a really old guy worked better than, say, the Terminator reboot or, or, or some other reboots with older actors, why this one in particular worked. I have some theories. But to roll the clock back to 79, 77? When was the first one? 76. 
76. Oh, there you go, 1976. I always forget that. You know, we know that Sly was sort of a porn star. You have a great story about this. Just lay the groundwork for the rest of us. Yeah, so so Sly in 1970, he, you know, he was bouncing around. Believe it or not, as a kid growing up, he was kicked out of 14 different schools. He, he was in trouble <laughs> quite a bit, and uh, his father uh, and mother were came from immigrant families from Russia and Italy. His father eventually worked hard enough, built up a uh, uh, quite a name for himself in New York City as, believe it or not, a hairstylist. And huh. um, the the Stallone family uh, moved to Philadelphia at some point. And uh, anyhow, uh, Stallone went to the University of Miami for three years. And he ended up dropping out just a few credit hours short of graduating to huh. pursue acting because he felt like that was his calling. And just like any struggling actor or musician, he fell on some some very tough times and sure. didn't have a whole lot of money to his name. So in 1970, he saw an audition ad for a soft porn uh, feature, mm. and he ended up getting the starring role. It was called The Party at Kitty and Studs, and uh, Stallone was a.k.a. Stud, and he was paid $200 for uh, two days' work. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been interviewed a few times about why he took on that role. And he basically said, you know, if you've ever been starving, and most people have not, but if you're ever put in that situation, you tend to do things that you wouldn't do. And for him, it was either do that movie or rob somebody. Oh, yeah. And he couldn't bring himself to robbing somebody. That, that yeah. really wasn't in his DNA. So, you know, what, what's even more interesting is if you fast forward six, seven years later, so the, the guy who produced that movie... He actually re-releases the movie and renames it The Italian Stallion, obviously <laughs> playing off of uh, Rocky's uh, boxing name in the movie. And uh, shortly after that, Stallone took his first million that he made from Rocky and he bought the rights to that movie so that it couldn't be distributed. So, you know, it's it's kind of funny how some people rise up. I mean, he did have a lot of bit pieces in, in various movies between... 1970 and 1976 but when i say bit pieces you know he was 15 30 45 seconds in a film and didn't mm -hmm. have a speaking part he really wasn't making any money so he truly was struggling he he, he had nothing so this will be a nice little side discussion about technology that i mentioned before the podcast i want to talk about which is we were talking last night, you and you were. Was it last night when you relayed the story to me about the porn thing, which I'd kind of known, but I didn't know all the details, um, especially how far he went to get it back, and which is that he could never do that in 2015. Once his porn's out there now, that's the thing. These these girls and and, and young men or whoever putting porn out on the internet, it's not like 40 years ago, you know? It, once it's out there, it's out there. He wouldn't have been able to get rid of it. Now, I'm not sure it would have stopped his career, and maybe he wouldn't have done it in the first place in this environment. So this, there's a lot of counterfactual hypothetical questions here. So thank God he was able to do that. You know, me, I'm being a non-judgmental guy, I, I wouldn't care if it's out there one way or the other. I'm not going to see it, but I'm not going to judge someone based just on that. Because a lot of these people are doing it for money. But on the flip side, how great was the scene in Creed where Michael B. Jordan was watching a fight between Rocky and Apollo from which movie on YouTube? 
Uh, that would have been either Rocky One or Rocky Two. I'm I not, think it was Rocky Two. I mean, I could be wrong. It, it may have been. I'm I'm not sure which movie it was, but yeah, they they had two fights. They had two fights, and right. he was watching it on YouTube. And you know, that's that. I mean, you know, he had it on the smart TV, pulled up YouTube. I mean, you just see those little things, and and that was one of the. I, I thought that was cool how they took today's technology and kind of weaved it into this old story. Totally, and and, and it was great because he was shadow boxing, but it wasn't just a, like a little kid. Although he was like acting like a little kid, you know, and in a good way. But it was also that he knew all the moves because he had watched it so many times. Mm-hmm. And I I could be wrong because of the way the music and the filming is, but it looks to me like most of the time he's shadow boxing Rocky's side of the fight, not his dad's. It, um, it, it does look like that. It does yeah. look like that. And uh, which is important to establish that he was already thinking of of digging up, you know, the the bones of of Rocky Balboa. I suppose I could be wrong. Well, if you remember, he when he first meets Rocky at the restaurant towards the end of the conversation, he does ask Rocky who won that third fight. He knew about the third fight. His yeah. mom told him about it. Most people, it was just a an urban legend that they. You know, at the end of uh, Rocky Three, after Rocky beats Clubber Lang, aka Mr. T, right? Apollo has to uh, Rocky has to pay off a debt to Apollo for training him, and the debt is the two of them get in the ring. And if you remember at the very end of the movie, they pause it, and the two of them they're both landing punches right on the jaw, and it just stops right there. But you don't know who won the fight, and right. then we find out in Creed who actually won that fight. Creed won. Creed won it. He won the third one. So it, it, it was really neat how they, how they dug up and made connections to some of the older movies if you were someone who remembers all of that from Rockies 1 through 6. You know when the movie became super real for me was when the PTI guys came on. <laughs> I was dying. <laughs> I, you know, in the sports movies these days, you, you get used to HBO or ESPN or these people being involved. They showed SportsCenter. When they did an extended PTI segment, I mean, Wilbon and Kornheiser were really convincing. Like they were talking about, you know, Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali or something like that, talking about Apollo Creed and, you know, and there being a controversy, but the thing they really care about is, can this kid box, you know? And it, Oh, man. I, I, I don't know what you were thinking. I, I was like falling off my chair during Jess, that bit. I, I loved it because, first of all, if you watch PTI, you knew exactly what side the two of them were going to take with all oh, of yeah. this. You knew oh, it, yeah. which made it cool. Oh, but yeah. here's the other piece for that true Rocky lover out there. In the first Rocky, do you remember when Rocky was training in the meat locker? Yes. Well, course. there was a reporter who interviewed him, and her name was Diana Lewis. Diana okay. Lewis actually had a 30-year career as a news broadcaster in Detroit. Huh. So she, that was her real job. She was a news broadcaster. So... Right. It was kind of cool to see how they took that piece from Rocky and plugged it into Creed. They just did it 2015 from 1976. Well, and also if you are a PTI fan, you know that the two of them being old guys and old school love boxing and are constantly lamenting the lack of good boxing and good boxers um, and just the, the sad state of the boxing world for a lot of different reasons, having to do concussions and corruptions and so forth. And you could just tell that, that uh, Kornheiser and Wilbon were really pumped to do you know, an extended bit about boxing 
as we would like to see it, uh, this might be a good uh, segue, which is that, you know, all the evidence that we have shows that we should just shut down boxing as a sport for health reasons. Well, we have MMA now, Jess. I mean, yeah. why, why, uh, why watch boxing when you can not only watch someone punch someone, but also kick them and then choke them at the end? Right. It's just, I mean, that's the violent culture of our country right now. I know we're getting, getting a little off topic because the focus is Rocky and Creed. No. But um, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it, it's as violent as football. I mean, it's really football is just as violent as boxing. But mm-hmm. I don't want to get my political soapbox pulled up to the uh, pulled up to the main stage here and start talking about that. I mean, football has please a, bring up the soapbox. And this well, is the fo- well, football has its own day of the week. They own Sunday, and if you think right. about it, they also own Monday night, Thursday yep. night, yep. and the Saturday games are now coming. So. Yep. Uh, you know, the NFL hasn't made it, they're not hiding this, but their plan is to actually have a game on all seven days of the week during the NFL season. Right. So, you know, the, you're right. I mean, the brutality of boxing, it's never changed. I mean, there's no, there's no science in boxing other than the fact that boxers are training maybe a little bit different today, but the bottom line is it's a pair of gloves and and you out there and these guys are getting pummeled i mean they i mean look at muhammad ali there's so many other boxers who are suffering from you know post-concussion symptoms and it impacts their quality of life i mean it is truly a brutal sport it really is i i actually think for me um boxing is more like fencing than it is like mma or or football because it's sort of like a gentleman's sport. I know it can be brutal, but there are rules. You know, you can't just kick pe- people in the nuts and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> I mean, there's certain rules. It's sort of a, a bit of a gentleman's sport, at least it used to be back in the day. And I'm wondering whether the same logic applies where people are talking about, uh, you know, there's some research uh, that indicates that having football players not wear helmets or wear lighter helmets could actually help them because they're not, uh, you know, they can't just launch themselves head first sure. without without that huge helmet. Um, and so it makes people think twice about, you know, doing a head-to-head hit. Um, and boxing, you know, the gloves, I think, are part of the problem. I mean, they wrap their hands so tight, and then they've got these really intense leather gloves. If they just fought, you know, literally with their hands or, you know, would just wrap their hands or, or light boxing gloves, um, the, the, the hits wouldn't be as brutal. Maybe that would extend their lifespans more. I don't know. There's a lot of science that has to go into it. It is a shame. You know, I, I'm from the uh, post-boxing generation. I mean, I grew up playing Mike Tyson's Punch-Out on <laughs> Nintendo, which was great, but I had no idea who Mike Tyson was or how much of a psycho he was until much <laughs> later. Um, but I have grown to love to watch anything having to do with Ali. Any documentary, you know, any dram- dramatized movie... Um, any just, you know, old school footage, um, with, you know, Howard Cosell and company with, with Muhammad Ali, I will watch any time of day. I love it. I'm a big believer in the rope-a-dope, <laughs> not just as a strategy for boxing, but as a strategy for life. Mm. Um, I, I use that metaphor a lot in my own head. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I try and watch these fights on TV. They're just not compelling. But give me a compelling old fight or a compelling boxing movie like Creed, and I am all in. Well, they, I, you know, a lot of the boxers today just lack character, and they don't stand for anything. Uh, you know, boxing, 
40 years ago. I mean, there was a time, Jess, and this is a way before your time, and I remember it um, because this is pre-1980, but every heavyweight championship was fought on ABC. It was yeah. Howard Cosell. You could watch it on television. You didn't have to pay for it. So oh, yeah. once it went to pay-per-view, I think the boxing audience started to diminish a bit. But, you know, the other piece is you bring up Ali. I mean, he stood for something. Yeah. He he was the he really was one of the first people to introduce Islam to America. Uh, it didn't scare people. I think it scared people in the sense that they didn't know anything about it. But he also fought for you know human rights and African Americans being treated being treated fairly in this country. So you know time actually painted him to be more of a humanitarian than a boxer. And today, unfortunately, a lot of athletes are more interested in capitalizing on their instant fame by putting their face on a Gatorade bottle or, you know, filming some commercial that might be slight and a little bit risque or d- doing an outrageous interview. You know, it's, it's so short-lived, the career now. And with Ali, I mean, money was important to him, but there were obviously other things in his life that he fought for and felt that he needed to use his fame to advance the rights of people especially in the United States, especially African-Americans. So we haven't had anybody like him. And I, there probably will never be anybody like him again. And I mean, it's, it's not sad, but I guess it just makes you appreciate him more as he gets older. What was so crazy about Ali um, is that he was accepted, not just despite his being a Muslim, a converted Muslim, um, associated with what at the time was considered and is still considered by some a radical sect of Islam, mm-hmm. but because of his anti-war stance um, and uh, pro kind of the people stance, you know, speaking out openly against the war, going to jail and so forth, people were more scared of that. And I think today people will be more scared of the Muslim side. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that an anti-war Muslim is considered like America's most treasured hero from people all, from all sides of the political spectrum. And, I, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, did, did he have to get his ass kicked so many times for that to be the case? Because his profile on paper would suggest that conservatives and others wouldn't like him. But Ali seems to be a transcendent figure in, in that sense. And he has... Um, you know, come down uh, a bit, you know, in, in terms of his hardline politics, to say the least, over the last couple decades. He's become more of, as you put, sort of a humanitarian, you know, the people's man or whatever. It is interesting. Um, I think LeBron channels a little bit of it. He just can't do it all on his own, but the the tension that LeBron brought to Trayvon Martin in all those cases, whatever you feel about those cases, that was the most recent and memorable um, in my lifetime of a major athlete putting their reputation on the line for a pretty political issue, um, albeit a domestic one. Uh, 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 so, uh, yeah, maybe just we'll jump to sports and politics. Any thoughts about sort of these events or other characters and actors and athletes I'm not thinking of? Well, I just... You know, the thing with Ali, I mean, I was born in 1970, so I I remember him. And he was not well-liked in the 70s. He was not well-liked by anybody. Conservatives, liberals, even African-Americans in this country kind of distanced themselves from him because of his stance on the Vietnam War 
and then converting to Islam. It was two things. The stand, he, people started to soften up to Ali after he made it public that he had Parkinson's. So right. people felt for him a little bit. But if you also remember after 9-11, he came out and, and basically said, I don't know if you remember this, but after 9-11, he came out and, and he basically shared with the world, he, he reminded the world that the people who took part in that attack are of the smallest minority in the Islamic religion, that they sure. don't represent the, the 1.6 billion Muslims in the world, which, you know, I, I just, you know, th- those are things, it's just hard today with today's athletes because, you know, Ali grew up during a time where he was disadvantaged because of his skin color. Sure. And look, look what he accomplished. And he used a lot of his fame and his resources and his connections to help people in a variety of ways. Um, I just don't see a lot of athletes doing that today. I just think we live in a different time. You know, you brought up LeBron. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I just I don't know what to say about him. I think his intentions are are very very good. However, he, he he's never had to struggle for anything. You know, so well his life, his whole life of this was a struggle. His whole life was a struggle growing up. I mean, you know, no dad, terrible neighborhood, mom very questionable. Was able to survive his mom, and then became the greatest, you know, eighteen-year-old um, player ever, and somehow didn't blow all of his money. And any perceived mistakes that LeBron has made are pretty minor compared to other athletes. Hasn't beat anyone. Hasn't stolen anything. No DUIs. No arrests. Uh, you but know. Jess, you, you got to hold your breath because uh that's fine it it seems like every time we put up a statue of a living legend aka joe paterno aka tiger woods sure something happens so i'm not saying put a statue of i'm just looking at the facts i'm looking at you know michael jordan famously says republicans buy sneakers too right obama (laughs) uh, obama fundraises for um i'm sorry lebron fundraises for obama he talks openly both on social media and in interviews um, and behind the scenes about all these issues going on. He's very politically active. He's just the first step, I think. Um, but, you know, when you have someone like LeBron speaking for the underclass, uh, you know, are, are there no demons in his closet? You know, I have no idea. But I can only speak on what people do. And also, comparatively, that we just don't have people like Muhammad Ali these days. Mm. Um, so that just relatively what a guy like LeBron is doing, to me, is impressive. And we should be praising it and, you know, and pushing more people to take stands. Of course, you don't want to abuse your fame to get on a soapbox all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're LeBron James, you, you should be allowed to talk on some of these issues, I think. We need, we need it. I just wish we got it from more athletes. Yeah, I, you know, he's still very young, too. So there's, there's still a lot of time for him um, to, I guess, I don't know, establish his legacy and his credibility I know he does a lot of uh, charitable work in his lot. in his hometown of in, in Ohio. Um, you know, does lots for kids, gives lots of money. So, you know, I'm not saying he's not a bad guy. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I think he does a lot of good things. I just don't really know him. But I always hold my breath because anytime we paint these athletes to be something better than they are, they tend to do something to disappoint people. I, I think the last living guy out there 
who everybody looks to as a true living legend is Derek Jeter. I mean, he, he's the one guy. He's no the one way. guy that I, I kind of point to. He's um, a womanizer. I'm not sure he's given a dollar to charity in he's his married. entire life. He's married. He's been married for a few years. Well, yeah, that, that, there were a lot of gift bags given out before that <laughs> happened. Um, I, I do I, know I, when you go into I hate house, the Jeter yeah. worship. I do. I hate the Jeter worship. I do. I absolutely hate it. I think there are a ton of athletes who are more um, interesting and engaging and, you know, brave enough to speak their mind as opposed to, you know, scared to say anything. He, he spent 20 years saying nothing to the press and sleeping with women, you know, and somehow he's a paragon of American virtue. Hey, you dated um, Mariah Carey. Come on. Yeah, you dated Mariah Carey. You dated, uh, you dated a lot of people and, he, you know, um, that's fine, uh, but I will say, just to let's loop back to Rocky here, because this is very important. I've been meaning to ask you about this. Again, years since I've seen the movies. What did it say that Creed was like a villain in the Rocky movies in the 70s, but he was a relatable villain that eventually you know, became buddies with Rocky? Uh, meaning in the 70s, it would re- be really easy to just have a one or two dimensional black bad guy as your guy, right? But oh, they yeah. didn't do that with Apollo. Apollo was a very complex character, and this current movie couldn't have been made without that. So, you know, again, having not seen the movies in a while, if you could just take me back to the first couple Rocky movies in the 70s and sort of the legacy going forward and, and sort of how uh, Stallone was really ahead of his time oh, yeah. um, with the character of uh, Creed. First of all, Jess, so far ahead of its time. A lot of people, and once again, I grew up during this time period. So I, you know, as someone who majored in history and I'm a teacher and, you know, I'm constantly looking at history and thinking about how different decades treated people in our country in the 1970s, the black guy was the bad guy. It, yep. it didn't matter if it was a movie or a TV series. Right. You didn't have movie stars, African-American movie stars, playing the good guy role. And not only that, but let's take it a step further. Apollo Creed was portrayed as a very intelligent boxer, yep. which basically went against every stereotype of anyone who knew anything about boxing in the 1970s. Because no, I mean, look at how Rocky is portrayed. He has no education. Dropped, I believe he says he dropped out of school in eighth or ninth grade, maybe 10th right. grade, I can't remember. He does say it in the original Rocky movie. And then you've got Apollo Creed, the heavyweight champion of the world. He is highly educated. He is well-spoken. He is dressed down to the T. There's one point in the movie where he's being interviewed and he says, stay in school and use your brain. Um, I think he said something like, be a doctor, be a lawyer, carry a leather briefcase, forget about sports as a profession. Sports make you grunt and smell. Mm. Be a thinker, not a stinker. Mm. I mean, like... So he he was really supposed to be Ali, essentially, right? I mean... He was... Well, his character was based off of the fight between Chuck Wepner... And uh-huh. Muhammad Ali in 1975. Right. That's right. where Apollo's character was was born. Rocky was a uh, sly was watching the fight, and that's where he got the idea for the movie. Well, but just in the sense of a very smart black boxer who has great one-liners and quips, and you know, and uh, and anecdotes and stuff like that. That was my. I mean, my impression was always that Creed was based on a number of black boxers, but 
but that Ali was in the front of that. I, I don't oh, know yeah. if, if that's yeah, true. Okay. Ali was in the front. I mean, when he got introduced, the Count of Monte Fusco, yeah. the master of disaster, yeah. it just, he, it was all Ali. You know, he carried himself like Ali. He was very, he was very arrogant, but he was very um, determined and very confident in who he was in those movies as Apollo Creed, which, you know, when you mix in the fact that he was also portrayed as a, as a very intelligent guy outside of boxing in the movies, went against every ser- stereotype in the 1970s as far as African-American um, actors goes. It, you know, it, it was kind of like the dawn of the African-American actor. I mean, right after that, who's the next guy, who's the next big African-American actor that you get in a movie that plays a role of a smart, intelligent, cunning guy? I think of the guy in Star Wars. You know who I'm thinking of. Cunning? What was the description again? Well, who, who's that? I, I thought you were going in a totally different direction. Well, so no, who, well, if you think about it, who's the next guy? So Star Wars comes out like a year after Rocky. Right. And who, which African-American actor in the original Star Wars had a role that you don't typically see African-Americans in? Billy D. Exactly. Yeah. Billy D. Williams. I mean, yeah. you know, so that, that was new. I, mean, well, I think least, I think I think they're bringing him back for one of the next couple movies. But anyways, gosh, well, I you know that scares me a little bit when they start bringing <laughs> these guys back forty years later. You know, no, no not for anything major, just uh, for some <laughs> personality. The the I won't I won't spoil anything, but the orig- the um the original cast for the most part were were great in in uh in this movie. But yeah, Bill, Billy D. Williams, and you had interestingly the voice of Vader by an African American, James Earl Jones. Though Vader ended up being white, I guess they had to do that. I, um, I just don't want to see Billy D. come back and have to ask Yoda for his cane. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's getting to that point where these movies are so old now. You and that's, I guess, what makes Creed so great with Sly is that yes. he looks so much older, yeah. and you can see the wear on his body. Yep. And the way that he talks and how he moves, but they do it in a way where you're still interested. Yeah, that that's that's what makes Creed so great. Okay, so I want to um, really talk about Creed, but I don't want to wrap up our Rocky discussion quite yet because you have a lot of wisdom. We talked about Rocky One, Rocky Two, so Mister Fell. Um, so you got Rocky One, Rocky Two, right? You got the Creed movies. And then things start slowly going off the, the rails a little bit in the Rocky movies as they move forward. <laughs> um, if, you would, if you would put on your like Roger Ebert uh, hat briefly, do, do a quick run through all uh, the sequels, give them a grade, and, and your overall thoughts about them. And this is going to be the definitive Bizzlecast grading. Okay. So we know it, we know we know Rocky One's an A plus, so we don't I, have yeah. to do it. I mean, how can it how can it yeah. not be? It's yeah. one of the greatest movies ever, Academy Award winner. Uh, speaking of which, uh, it came up with me and my dad. We did a, a podcast about that movie Spotlight that's out, which is about the Boston Globe uncovering the pre scandals in Boston mm-hmm. in two thousand two. It's up for the Best Picture. Really excellent. You'll love it. It's a, it's sort of a journalistic uh, drama. Um, Rachel McAdams and, and Michael Keaton, a few other people. Um, but we were talking about how, um, shit, I just totally lost my train of thought. We're, we're talking, talking about? about grading the Rocky movies. So Rocky's is clearly an A plus movie. How can it not be right? 
It, yeah, it's definitely an A plus, and then Rocky too. Oh, I remember, I remember. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, go ahead. So Spotlight uh, is in uh, um, you know a, a long tradition of excellent journalism thrillers, including All the President's Men, which I'm sure you have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, All the President's Men lost out to what movie in 1976 for Best Picture? Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. So I I thought that was fascinating when I heard that. I, even more credibility, um, not credibility, but cred for me for Rocky to to beat out a movie like that for sure. So Rocky two comes out what seventy nine? Yeah, I believe it came out in seventy nine. And uh, what a great follow up to the first movie. I I would give it an A. Mm-hmm. I think they did. I mean, it was predictable. You knew that Rocky was going to win that second fight. But they did a great job of developing the story and the relationship between Rocky and Adrian. And, of course, um, the fight scene was probably – that was probably the best fight scene of all the Rocky movies, I think, was Rocky Two between Apollo and Rocky. Mm. I think technology improved a little bit three years later, and um, you know they were able to hang their hat on that fight scene. It was, it was excellent. It, it was excellent. Rocky III um, – you know, I give it. I, Wait, can I, enjoy... I stop you? Can I stop you for one sure. sec? So, you know, Talia Shire, we know where she's from. Um, you know, she's Talia Shire's from from Hollywood royalty. Yep. I believe she's Coppola's daughter, right, or sister? Yeah, sister. Yeah, she was in The Godfathers, as we all, all right. know. All right, so she's the sister of Coppola. Uh, aunt of actor Nick Cage and director Sofia Coppola, yada yada yada. So she's a Hollywood child like Carrie Fisher, who didn't do a lot other than the Rocky movies, as far as I can tell. That's pretty normal for these these young Hollywood women, um, for better or worse. Now Carl Weathers is a fascinating case to me. Um, I wonder if you, you you knowing a lot more about these movies. If you have any anything you wanted to say about Carl Weathers before we moved on to the the later Rocky movies, sure. he just seems like such a fascinating guy and actor. I know he's from New Orleans. Well, for, well, first of all, you brought up Talia Shire. I have to tell you, yeah. Uh, do you know who was offered the role of Adrian before Talia Shire? I do not. Bette Midler, and she turned it down. Um, Thank God. <laughs> well, <laughs> she read the script and she liked it. Yeah. Her manager was totally against it. Thought it was a uh-huh. bad career move. She went and saw Rocky when it came out, and I believe she, uh, I'm not sure, but I think it really soured her relationship with her manager after that. She was very upset that she passed it over. You know um, how many managers Bette Midler has fired over the years? It <laughs> does, really takes very little for her to become yeah. uh, angry with her manager, so I'm sure yeah, that guy was not long for, for life anyways. I, don't, I, I could probably do some research to find out if she fired him shortly thereafter, but I got the impression from uh, what I've read about it that it really soured her relationship with her manager, but um, th- there were a few famous Hollywood actresses or up-and-comings that interviewed for the part susan sarandon actually interviewed for the role and she did not get it so it's kind of interesting Beth Midler turned it down susan sarandon um didn't get it talia shire ended up getting it it always makes you wonder how different the movies might have been with a different actor or actress in a certain role but as far as rocky goes and a lot of people already know this but uh when he presented the script to united artists they offered him, I think the first offer was 50000 He turned it down. Then they went up to 100000 
then eventually the offer went up to 350000 Now, if you think about it, 1975, Jess, $350,000 is a big chunk of change for just writing a script. Wait, how much was it? I have a program specifically for this. The, the final offer was... It started at fifty, I believe, and then the final offer was three hundred and fifty thousand, and I believe it was nineteen seventy-five. And three hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, three hundred fifty thousand. What would that be today, Jess? In nineteen seventy-five, would be one point five million. Um, yeah, million. So you know, and this this is a guy who you know Stallone wrote this script. He was married, I believe. His wife was pregnant. He actually did have the dog Buckus. So Buckus was living with him. He had a big dog. His wife was pregnant. He has no money, no job. He's doing bit stuff. And he turns down the 350000 and says, I'll sell it for less than that if you let me star in it. Hmm. So from what I understand, uh, the original producers uh, wanted Burt Reynolds, James Caan, or Robert Redford to play the role of Rocky, and Stallone stuck to his guns. I believe he ended up taking a hundred thousand for the script and the lead role. That mm. was that was the final. Uh, I guess that was, that was the what the two sides agreed on at the end. But you know, once again, think about it. What is that movie like with Burt Reynolds in it? That's just hard for me to think that it would have been as good. Yeah, Talia Shire's interesting. She's she's pretty beautiful back in the day. Not necessarily a classic beauty, I guess. I mean, The Godfather, you know, she's stunning. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess you kind of needed someone who looked a little Italian, right, to, for that role. I mean, I'm not sure Sarandon or Bette Midler would have fit that bill. I, I agree. I mean, it's it's in South Philly. That's where, you know, Rocky lives, and that's where they live. And we all know that South Philly has a strong connection to the Italian-American heritage. So, yeah, I think, you know, decisions were made for obvious reasons. But, I mean, you know, Burt Young and Talia Shire and Carl Weathers, I mean, what an unbelievable job of casting that movie. Well, you know, and Rocky made the right choice because you had The Godfather in 72, you had Godfather 2 in 74, and then two years later you have Rocky... And you have Talia Shire, who was nominated for all sorts of awards for her role in Rocky. So, it, you know, it, it, it helped that, that Sly was able to tap into someone who was already, if not an award-winning, then at least an established and, and well-respected actress who everyone knew that was out there. It was, I mean, a great cast. It was just the acting. It's so good when you watch... You know, when we watch a lot of these movies from the 60s or 70s, you watch them now and you think, ah, so corny, you know, the the lines aren't written so well and the humor isn't as funny as it was then. And there's something transcendent about Rocky and all of the movies where they're still just very entertaining. The story doesn't get old, even though we all know it. And just really quickly, back to Carl Weathers, you know, this was his whole career. I mean... You look at his movies post Rocky Four, and there just aren't that many. And I'm not. It doesn't mean he's not a good actor. It's just interesting how these franchises, like for example, Natalie Portman was luckily able to escape the the Star Wars prequels uh, stigma. Um, but even in great uh, movie trilogies or series like Rocky. Uh, you got guys like Carl Weathers that are perfect for the role and just never really... I mean, from Rocky Four was in 85. 
his last role was in 2012. He had about a dozen total roles during that period, mm. and not uh, some of them were voice roles, and he did television a little bit, some video games, whatever. I don't know. He was just uh, uh, was he just the right man at the right time? I think so. I mean, I guess he would be the classic typecast actor, right? Right. I mean, they're just he he tried to do some comedy. Well, he was in the Adam Sandler movie. What was it called? Happy Happy Gilmore. Oh, he wasn't Happy Gilmore. He was in Happy Gilmore. That. Remember, he played. He had the fake hand. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> was bit yes. off by the alligator. I mean, you think about that role, and you think about what he did in Rocky and Rocky Two, and it it's almost kind of sad, actually. <laughs> yeah, I hate yeah. I hate to say it. And this, you know, he did play for the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, Carl I Evans. remember reading something about that. Yeah, I mean, he was in phenomenal shape. If you think about just could his, Jim Brown have played this role? Who? Could Jim Brown have played this role? I, you know what, I don't, I don't know. I, I think he would have been just a little too old at that time. And so in '76, yeah, that's a little, a little too old. He would have been a little too old at, at that point in time. But Carl Weathers, I can't think of anybody else who would have made a better Apollo Creed. Well, let's, let's, if the movie had made, been made ten years earlier, could Jim Brown have played the role? Oh, absolutely. I think he would yeah. have been the, the prototypical guy. Do you know yeah. who they wanted to play Apollo Creed? No. Ken, Ken Norton. Really? Ken Norton, and he turned it down. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, Ken Norton was actually in his prime as a boxer at that time. And huh. they offered him the role, and he turned it down. He wasn't interested. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So so, so online they, they, they refer to uh, Apollo's... Um, uh, fighting style, m- more like Larry Holmes, actually, than uh, uh, Ali. Um, I-, I haven't seen enough boxing to know if that's the case. But he- his his character is based on Ali, but in terms of his fighting style, um, more Larry Holmes, um, which is interesting. I mean, clearly, Sylvester Stallone is a lover and historian of boxing. We know that much, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, I mean... You know, like your daughter probably hasn't seen a real boxing match ever, but she's seen Rocky a hundred times. Like <laughs> yeah, for her, the, that the is movie, boxing. Even though the movie was born out of the Ali Wepner fight in '75, right. um, a lot of the foundation of the movie when Sly started writing it, and it took him actually about twenty hours to write the entire script from start to finish, all in one day. He did it in twenty hours straight with his with his wife at the time typing and, and making drafts and rewriting. That's almost um, impossible because a two-hour movie is about 120 pages. It's a page per minute. So that means he was writing multiple pages per hour. That's he, crazy. He was on it. And uh, he, he said that you know even though it was based on the Wepner ali fight of 75, that right. there are pieces of the movie that uh, connect to Rocky Marciano, who was Stallone's childhood hero. You know, yeah. Stallone grew up in the in the fifties and sixties, and uh, Rocky Marciano was the heavyweight champ throughout the fifties, undefeated Italian, and uh, you know Stallone had a real admiration for him. So there were yeah. pieces of the movie that that um, that shadow Marciano's career as well. Well, and and this would be a great way to jump into a topic that I've been holding off on for a while, um, which is a theory that I, that I have about why Creed is doing so well is that there are certain properties and certain characters, um, and I believe this about Captain America as well, I'll get back to that in a sec, 
where they can exist as celebrities both in and out of the movies, right? Mm -hmm. So you have Rocky Balboa as a celebrity, you know, the champ in the movies, but he's also a huge... I mean, as as you point out, if you ask people to name three things about Philadelphia, one of them is going to be Rocky, you know? I mean... If, it's going to be the cheesesteaks Rocky and, and who knows what and else. And the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And the Fresh Prince, right. <laughs> and, or, or Boys to Men or something like that. But, um, so you know, so it, it it helps that he's a celebrity both in and out of the film in, in terms of building the legend. Because when Creed is watching, um, actually when Donnie is watching, Adonis is watching the YouTube videos of the old Rocky uh, Creed fights, you know, it's just like us watching YouTube videos of those exact same fights. It's just framed differently. You know, when we're watching videos of those fights on YouTube or, or on TV, it's in a fictionalized context. He's doing it in a non-fictionalized context, but it's still the same thing. And that's what's great about Captain America, you know, is like, did you see um, the Winter Soldier? I did. Uh, the most, yeah, Captain America from last year, and he goes to the Smithsonian, and he like, he gets disguised just to go see. There's a whole Captain America exhibit in the Smithsonian, and I love that scene. And the kids are all wearing the Cap t-shirts, and it's like that could totally exist in real life. You know, that's the thing. Captain America has become such an icon in real life that for the Smithsonian to do uh, an exhibit on him in real life, just like Rocky, would make total sense. And uh, you know, I mean, I guess technically this is called tearing down the fourth wall. Um, but it's not even that complicated. It's just certain characters have sort of a legendary character to them. Mm -hmm. And that's why Stallone, despite not doing a lot of movies over the last number of years and not doing a lot of good movies for a very long time, other than the Rocky movies, has remained a huge star. I, I, have, a, I have a roommate from India and a roommate from um, Greece, and, and they say Stallone is a huge star in both of those countries. I think he's a star all around the world. So just general thoughts about Sylvester Stallone. I mean, I used to think it was sad that all of his best work would be Rocky-related, but now after seeing Creed, I, I don't feel sad at all because he's becoming, or, or at least is blossoming into an even better actor than I even thought possible. Oh, I agree. And it's, it's not just the Expendables. He actually, he's made yeah. some good movies. Nothing Academy Award-winning outside of Rocky, but he has made some very good movies. He's also made some duds, but, I mean, he's been around now for 40 years. Uh, every actor is going to run into that, that bad role every now and then. But, you know, Creed, like you said, it, I mean, it was great because it was part seven, and it, it kind of restarted this whole saga again, just telling a story from a, from a different person's point of view, from the young Donnie in it was just great how Stallone was able to tap into his old character and fast forward at 40 years to, to play an older Rocky that still got you excited. You still laughed when he cracked the occasional joke. You, you, you loved him for who he was. He, I guess he brought a lot of realism to the role, and, yep. and that's why I think people are enjoying the movie. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, just my final thoughts about Creed. I had high hopes for it. I wasn't surprised it was good. I was surprised it was 
Um, I was surprised that it was as good as it was. Did, now, did you see Fruitvale Station two years ago? I have not seen it, but I plan on watching it um, in the next two weeks. I, I have some downtime, so I'm, I'm planning on watching it because I've heard nothing but good things about it. Yeah, considering it's Michael B. and uh, Ryan Coogler, the director of Creed, uh, you know, the two of them, it's a completely different movie, to say the least. It's very dark. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a quote unquote small, but very disturbing true story. And I I didn't love the movie. I'd love to hear your feedback on it. But anyway, so the fact that these two had worked together before and then you throw in Stallone and the Rocky mythos, that's the thing. You know, for me, watching the previews, you're going, okay, they're going to take the Rocky mythos but go in a completely different direction. And Stallone will be just sort of a side support character. But, you know, it's really a dual lead movie, and they don't go in a completely different direction, and I'm glad they didn't. This is one of those cases of a reboot that that stuck closer to the material than I thought they were going to, and I was happy that they did. And this is coming from not a Rocky super fan. I don't know if you agree with that. I I agree 100%. I I think they did a great job of taking what worked so well in many of the Rocky movies – and putting it together to create a new foundation for the Creed story. They didn't lean entirely on what made Rocky great, but they took bits and pieces of it so that you could still appreciate the Creed story. Sometimes in these part twos, threes, fours, and fives, they forget to evolve the story, to push it forward, and they play it safe and tell the story over and over again. The same story in just a different movie. And, you know, they hang on to the humor that got them there or the storyline. In this case, they didn't do that. And I think that's what made Jess. I rarely go see a movie at the theater twice. I had no problem going to see Creed a second time. And it's not because I'm a huge Rocky guy. It was just a really good story. And the soundtrack was phenomenal. The movie score was great. The acting was really good. I mean, I, it was just a good story. And so maybe we'll close on the music, which you and I have been talking about extensively off um, off the mic, uh, how much we love the soundtrack, both the, the score itself and the, um, the hip-hop soundtrack. And, you know, and this is one of the ways that you can show cool things in trailers without really giving it away. The scene, you know, where it's coming together and he's running around Philly and the kids are on their dirt bikes and all that stuff, we saw a little bit of that run in the trailer, but when you see the full run with the bikes and the music going, I mean, it's, it's a completely new scene, right? It's, and, it's a new scene. It's, yeah. it, that's what makes it great. When do you ever see anything original uh, yeah. in a saga? Yep. <laughs> you know, and look, there, there's no such thing as a Rocky score or Rocky music if you don't hear trumpets and bells. Okay. Uh, yep. When I hear trumpets and bells, I'm thinking... Rocky music, you know, it gets you pumped up. So they were able to take, and the next time you listen, you'll you're going to say to yourself, "Oh man, I hear I hear the bells, I hear the trumpets." Oh yeah, they they just have. That's what I associate Rocky music to. They did such a great job of taking what worked in Bill Conti's original score and meshing it with some hip hop, which I thought was kind of cool. Like I I listened to it and I see this huge symphony. And then yep. you got some hip hop coming in. It's like you almost like you see Jay Z walking out on the stage and then doing his piece at the end, even yeah. though he's not a part of the of the music. But I just thought they did a really neat job of taking a symphony 
and taking hip hop and blending them to create something that was so original and so appealing to the ear. It just got me excited again about the music. And if, if for, for those out there who, who like or love the movie, it's kind of expensive. Although these days you can find other ways to get it for a more affordable <laughs> price, which is to buy the score, the orchestral score, which also contains some dialogue bits between Rocky and um, Donnie, which is great. But then also the hip-hop soundtrack. And just put it on one giant playlist on random, and you'll just be inspired for like two straight hours. Oh, yeah. Um, it's amazing. And also... They did the smart thing, which was the the big hip hop numbers from the movie that were like you know where he's running around with the dirt bikes, like big scenes like that where there's hip hop, but there's also the Rocky music. They leave that untouched on the soundtrack, so you're hearing what you hear in the movie, not you know not a pared down version without um, without the orchestra. So that's great. So just really quickly, um, some quick hits to, to close this out. Uh, it was great having you on, man. Definitely would love to have you back on any time. Some favorite parts about, about Creed. And uh, let me just start by saying one of the things I loved about Creed was that the plot was really the least important part of the movie. And I'm always talking about this with blockbuster movies. You know, like, and I, I don't want to ruin Star Wars for anyone, but Star Wars and Apollo um, and Creed, I'm sorry, both are, are very formulaic from a plot standpoint, from a Hollywood blockbuster perspective. But I just thought Creed did a better job of taking all of those cliches and putting new spins on it, mostly because of the acting and the filming and the way they framed it. Basically, what I'm saying is there's nothing super surprising or out there in, in Creed, but the, the, the people on the screen are just so compelling. And with the music and the filming, I didn't want it to be. I, 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 you know, I, I was fine with it having be a Hollywood movie, but just be an amazing freaking Hollywood movie. I don't know if you agree with that specific assessment. I, I do. I, th I think what was great was, and it all, I tell you, Jess, it all started with Rocky Six, Rocky Balboa. Stallone was not afraid to tell a story. He did not rest his laurels on sharing with us 10 different fight scenes and stretching it out over 120 minutes. Because you know what? That people like action. I mean, that's just where we are today yeah. with our with movie genres. Pe people like action. Although, um, although, if I can just jump in real quick, Creed actually, from a minute standpoint, there's only one major fight at the end. I mean, well, that, it's not all fighting in Creed at all. That, that's my point, Jess. My point yeah. is, is that when you watch Rocky Balboa, which is Rocky Six, Stallone ties the story up, and he does it in a very appropriate way, appropriate and true to the first Rocky. Because Rocky 3, 4, and 5 kind of go off in pop culture directions sure. based on what was going on at the time when those movies were written and filmed. But Rocky Balboa basically was the resurrection of the horrible Rocky 5, which is the only bad movie in the whole saga. And it was Stallone's way of tying things up in a way that he felt was appropriate and writing a conclusion to the story. That's what he did. And with Creed, he didn't forget that the greatness about the first Rocky movie wasn't the final fight at the end. It was the incredible love story that he told and developed that occurred between himself and Talia Shire. But yep. it was started with Creed and with his relationships and his personal demons 
that he battled as a child and how he grew up to be this good person with the support of, I guess we could call her his adopted mother because it was, it was Creed's uh, wife. Yep. But, but there, were so, there was a lot of relationship building. Sure. There was some good storytelling in it. There were some lessons learned. And, you know, Stallone did a good job of making sure that it was about telling a story and not just making it an action movie because that would have been the easy way out. And I think that's why people – see, I, I think people still really enjoy good stories. I, I just don't think Hollywood right now is in that direction. You know, we're, we're more about rebooting the Addams Family and Gilligan's Island and remaking right. every, popular, uh, every popular television show into a movie. And, you right. know, t- it, that's just where we are right now. It's the superhero thing. Don't get me wrong. I love all the superhero sure. movies. They've, they've all been pretty good. Sure. Um, but and, I, and Creed and Creed like The Martian. I love pointing this out. Um, you know, Adonis is a superhero in his own way in this movie, right? It's we get a cool superhero movie without having to have a real superhero movie. We we do. And what was great about it? He lost the fight at the end, Jess. Yeah. In, in The Martian, he gets home. He wins. Right. right? Yep. He survives yep. Mars. He survives right. the flight back. But true to Rocky in the first movie. We get a new superhero who actually lost, and I think this is where the real lesson is. I, I think when people really remove the layers of this movie and they think about it, there's nothing wrong with losing when you put 100% into something that you truly believe in or something that you want to do. And I think as Americans, we have to remind ourselves that it's more about the fight and about taking the punch, as Rocky says. It's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can hit back and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. That's yep. what Rocky says. You know yep. that we tend to forget that because in in the society we live in today, with everything being so instant, with technology and you know shortcuts to making large amounts of money, and we judge our success on how much we own, yeah. and not necessarily the kinds of relationships that we build with our family and friends. Right. Great Creed is just a movie that reminds us of. I don't know how how we're supposed to do things. Well, that's the thing. The the only thing he lost was the fight on the technicality. He everything else in his life he won. Exactly. He got Rocky to do chemotherapy, became like a dad to him. Got this wonderful girlfriend like the three of them. They got a little family going on. He had this really hostile crowd cheering his name at the end. Even the, his opponent, who was a total douchebag, <laughs> congratulated him because of how well he did. And the thing is, I knew they were – I didn't know like from a spoiler, but I, I guessed in my mind pretty strongly that he was going to lose the fight in that sort of way. But it was so dramatic, and I had become so invested in those characters by that point in the movie, way more than I expected I would be, that it felt like a win – you know, oh, absolutely. And, and this is sort of what you're getting to. Well, you know, was it a loss on the sheet? Sure, it's a loss on the sheet. But everything else in his life coming together, it felt like a win. And you know, it was going to mirror Rocky one, which is part of the reason I thought he would lose. And I think he'll win in, in Rocky two. But they'll have to keep finding twists because he can't always win. Um, you you know this. They greenlit the 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 sequel, so I've read even before this came out wide release. They knew this was going to do well. Um, just really quickly as a wrap up, so the movie ha- had a thirty-five million dollar budget, which is reasonable. It's not a lot, as you know. I mean, like the Avengers is like two hundred and fifty million. Uh, this isn't the Avengers, but it's already made close to a hundred million, and it hasn't even been opened overseas. So you, we could be looking at 
a creed total of two to three hundred million on a thirty-five million dollar budget, which is amazing. With Michael B. Jordan, who not that many people know, I mean, in the big picture, and Sylvester Stallone, um, who's been out of the picture for a while, it's already a huge success. I wish we had more movies like this, more sort of small movies where the stakes feel high, but it's very personal. Any last thoughts about about Creed or, or Rocky in general before we sign you off here? No, I mean. You know, <laughs> Creed is, as you said, it's the perfect example of a great story. You don't need special effects when you tell a great story. And I, I wish that, I wish Hollywood could hear this. I wish somebody out there who listens to this, who maybe makes decisions on making big movies, when you write a great story, you make a good movie. And oh, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you. I, I, I know you need to go with your kids, but I meant to bring this up earlier. We don't have to stay on this too long about special effects. So they, there's three fights. Each one gets progressively longer, mm-hmm. and the filming is totally different. The first one is just a quick brawl in Mexico where he's yep. getting his chops. But his first big American victory, which puts him on the map and exposes his true identity, lasts two rounds, and he beats the crap out of the guy. Yeah. But it's a, it's a single camera shot. Uh, or at least an apparent single camera shot the entire fight, <laughs> including the 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 break. What do they call that? The break between rounds. The uh, um, yeah, the it's the break. Right, the break. So the, the, so starting and beginning of round one through the break at the end of round one and into him punching the guy's lights out at the beginning of round two is basically a single camera shot. I read or heard that they did that scene like twenty five times all the way through huh. because they needed to get it on one take. They didn't want any cha- moving. So, it, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to just not change camera shots, which means you actually have to get hit. Like, Michael B. Jordan talked about he got punched in, these, in that movie. Like, really punched. Um, that was, like, part of the training was to get him used to getting punched because it's going to happen when you have a live camera. And it was great. And, it, you know, and, and they were able to use it for two rounds of boxing. Now, for 12 rounds, you were never going to be able to do that at the end. I, I mean, both of those guys should have been knocked out at the end after like two <laughs> rounds. But who cares? It was so glorious. They're going toe to toe. They're just beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, like I get chills just thinking about it. I, I mean, and, and, and you know, he's getting his ass kicked, and then late in the second round, Creed finally lands one on Conlan, and uh, or pretty Conley. Ricky. Uh, yeah, pretty regular. <laughs> um, and from there on out, it was just a slugfest. Uh, so, where, how would you how would you rank the uh, the fighting um, in Creed? Uh, and then I'll really let you go. How would you rank the fighting in Creed with the with the rest of the series? Yeah, I thought I thought the build. Well, you know, it, like I said, they didn't rest on their laurels and basically just copy what worked in the other movies because sure. for the most part, the fight scenes are memorable in all the movies except for Rocky Five. But um, I, you know what I like the added piece, what they did with something was new? When they introduced a new boxing character, they had the person's name with their nickname. They had I their love record. that. I saw some reviewers complained about that. I love that oh, device. I, I liked it. You know, they paused it. Like, so they showed that picture. It was almost like looking at a trading card of a boxer. Yep. Yep. They paused it, and I believe it was a black and white shot. I, I could be wrong, but I thought they did it in a black and white shot. And they put the statistics of that boxer. Yep. I thought that was really cool because it kind of added to the buildup of the fight. Yep. And uh, I, I don't know. I you know it's very original. I just like the way that they that they put it all together. They made it original. It was very appealing to the eye. 
your adrenaline definitely built as the movie went on. Oh, absolutely. I love that device. I read somewhere someone was complaining about it feeling out of place. It was totally in place. Again, like a comic book movie in all the best ways. Sure. Got, got to see the comparative powers, as we say. You yeah, know, yeah. Got to see the stats. And, you know, you got to see that he's fighting people who are 35 and 0 with 28 knockouts and never been dropped before. Sure. You know, uh, it, it's just way more effective that way. The whole movie was just, I mean,. Yeah, the editing, I don't know. It's not going to happen because this isn't how Hollywood works. But for me, I would put this on my list of best five movies of the year, at least for me. It was so flawless. There's nothing I would change about it. I know it's not the deepest movie out there, but neither was The Martian. And well, I, you know, I think The Martian should be up there as well, just well, in terms of edu- uh, execution. Well, for all those Bizzle followers out there, and I've, I've listened to many <laughs> of your podcasts, for you to put this movie oh, in your top bro. five of the year and not be a real rooted Rocky guy, oh yeah, that that says a lot. That says yeah. a lot out there. I, You know, hey... People should be putting this podcast up in the cloud with Rocky so that they can listen to it, just like Balboa does in, in Creed. I, you know, th- no, you're right, Jess. I mean, once again, I always tend to, to peel back the layers and, and maybe look for the hidden messages in, in a movie. And I just, I, like, I really like the story that was told and just, you know, the hard work, the motivation, dealing with your issues as a child, as an adult establishing relationships with people, not letting, you know, physical ailments like cancer beat you down because you don't, you're too old and tired and you don't want to fight it. There were just so many different topics that were addressed and, um, and, and evolved in the movie that I I don't know. I, I just looked at it a little bit differently because I've seen all the movies multiple times and, you know, I was trying to make connections between Creed and some things that maybe happened in other movies and, once again, I I just thought that the director did a brilliant job. I thought the score was amazing. I yeah. think the soundtrack is phenomenal. I already put some songs on my iTouch and worked out to them today. And nice. it was, I mean, if you felt so pumped up after you're listening to the bells and the trumpets and yeah. just, it's just, just a really good movie. I've seen The Martian. I thought it was great. I've seen Creed. Um, I, you know, I, I think Stallone might actually have a chance. He's going to win. He's going to win. For I don't best have... supporting actor, yeah. he might finally get the Academy Award, the one thing that has escaped him his entire life. He's going to get it. He's going to get it. I don't have a ton of inside knowledge about this, but I researched this stuff a lot for the Bizzlecast. You know, I mean, Michael Keaton should have gotten it last year, so there could be a last-minute upset along those lines, but I'd be shocked if he didn't get it. I mean, this was... It, you know, if you knew nothing about Stallone before this movie, you'd you'd be be calling him a great actor with a capital G. Really, I, he was great, and you know, I mean, <laughs> let's put it this way: I've never teared up so much in a movie and not in non corny scenes before. You know, like you know, and the key to the movie is when uh, um, Michael B. Jordan, when, when Adonis is like. What does he say? He says, I, "If I fight, you fight," right, or something like that. Like, yeah, I mean. And, you know, just, just a little side note about the power of Stallone. He uh, recently teamed up with Heritage Auctions, and he had a bunch of stuff from all the Rocky movies stored away in some locker for the past 40 years. And he decided oh. to auction all of these things off from the movies, different props. The auction actually is taking place. It's going off today and tomorrow at HA.com, okay. HeritageAuctions.com. Uh, do you remember the racquetball that Rocky bounced in Rocky 1 and 2 throughout the streets of Philadelphia? 
<sighs> Sounds familiar. He, it's he, had been a, a while. he had a racquetball. It was a black racquetball. And he, you know, when he was collecting on the streets, he was bouncing the racquetball. Well, they have it up for auction right now. And with the premium from the auction house, the bidding is currently up to $33,000. Wow. Just on the racquetball, Jess. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, you just think about stuff like that. Someone's ready to pony up thirty-three grand for that racquetball that was in the movie Rocky and Rocky Two, And uh, Sly, is, all the money is actually being donated to, I believe, the Wounded Warriors Project and some other charities that are connected to the military and people who served over in Iraq and Afghanistan. So, How long it, is this going on, this, this well, auction? Well, the auction started a, a month ago. They opened it up, and it actually ends tonight and tomorrow night. There's original artwork from Sly, so for those of you who don't know, he's actually a very accomplished artist. He oil paints quite a bit in his spare time, and hmm. Leonardo da Vinci is his personal hero. He'll, he'll tell you that. So there's original oil paintings that, that he has created. There's all kinds of different movie props from all the Rocky movies, from gloves to boxing shoes to the racquetball to equipment that was found in Mickey's gym and the Front Street gym. And just check it out, HA.com. I think you'll enjoy just going through the stuff and seeing all the things that came out of the movies. Yeah, email me the, the link or whatever. I'll, I'll put it on the, uh, the copy for the... Um for the podcast yeah yeah ha.com um, uh i i really wanted that racquetball but once it surpassed 300 i just couldn't <laughs> see spending 33 grand on a racquetball <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome well this was uh this was great man um we're definitely on the same page about this movie um and while my knowledge isn't as extensive or recent as yours in terms of the other rocky movies i've always loved them and loved stallone and loved the whole idea behind it um, you know, having Michael B. Jordan run around Philadelphia was just great by itself. Um, you know, brought, brought tears to my eyes, my beautiful city. Um, and, uh, yeah. And like I said, I, I think that, that this movie, it will probably end up being my favorite movie of the year. There's still a few ones to come out. I have to see Star Wars a second time. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just from a personal standpoint, the fact that he would seek Stallone out, or the fact that, um, that Adonis would seek Creed out, uh, I'm sorry, the fact that Adonis would seek Rocky out goes against most movie tropes where it's usually the older guy trying to groom some young buck, right? Sure. Here the young buck is trying to groom the older guy yeah. to come out of retirement. And, 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 and it's not like Adonis has no family either. He has a mom so who's, who seems like a loving mom. So it really goes against a lot of cliches. Uh, still ends up at the same point, but with a great journey. Um, so thanks again. Any parting thoughts either about the movie or just in general? No, Jess, thanks for having me on. I, I really enjoyed talking about Creed and all the Rocky movies and, uh, your Bizzlecast are great. I always learn something oh. from them. I always love hearing thanks. what you got to say. You've always got great guest speakers on, so continue the good work, brother. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And so, um, have a happy holidays to everyone. This will be released sometime before the new year, um, possibly before Christmas. And uh, thanks again, Phil, for being on. And we are out.